0: So today's scripture reading comes out of Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 11. It says, You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. The word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, good morning. Is anybody else glad to be here today? I'm glad to be here today. There's nowhere else I would rather be, and I'm glad that you're here today. <laughs> and maybe you're glad in your heart. <laughs> uh, just have your heart tell your face. Um, no, the thank you to the gifts team for that video, and what a great encouragement um, to ha- to to identify and use our spiritual gifts. Um, So let me begin by saying God gives good gifts This is what the scriptures tell us that that he is the giver of all good gifts And so our response then when it comes to spiritual gifts is to say, okay, God all that you have for me I will receive and I will then use for your glory So I want to say this for our local church context right here at mca We need you We need you serving in ministry. We need each and every one of us working together to accomplish the vision that God has set before us. And so for those of you, many, 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 many of you that are serving, that, that, are, that are giving your spiritual gift in service, thank you. You, you are not unnoticed. You are not unappreciated. Uh, we are really grateful. So uh, th- we do have a gifts team here, and they just have a heart for seeing people uh, identify and develop, you know, sort of discover, develop, and then deploy uh, their spiritual gifts. And so to that end, we have a spiritual gift survey or inventory. It's been placed in your mailboxes. I believe it will also be in the, the uh, core group rooms, Sunday school rooms this morning as well. We'd like you to take a few minutes to fill that out. Um, not just simply in a self-serving way for us here, but because we want to see the Lord raising up men and women who know what their spiritual gifts are and then find that great joy in using them. So we function best when we're all working together. We need you, and we want to help you in that journey. So if you have any questions about that, feel free to come to me with those questions or see Kent and Aaliyah Neuenschwander. They are kind of our lead point uh, people on this project Uh, They would be glad to help. Also, to that end, on October 3rd, coming up here in a few weeks, we are going to have a ministry fair. And so we'll have our regular Sunday morning service, and we'll have our children's Sunday school, but during that Sunday school hour in our gymnasium, we're going to really highlight some of the great ministries right here that happen in the context of MCA. And so we would love for you to consider, if you're not already serving, joining one of those ministry teams, and we thank you for it. You know what's really discouraging? It's when you've done the right thing and you still get poor results. You've done the right thing, but you still get bad results. It's, it's when you, you show up and you work hard every day, but you don't seem to be getting anywhere. You don't seem to be having success. So, so in the athletic realm, you're, you're there every day. You're lifting the weights. You're going through the, the routines. You're at practice, and yet you're losing every single game. That's discouraging. It's when you're in school and you're, you're just pouring yourself in. You, you haven't missed class. You've taken notes. You've read, the, you've read the textbook. You've done the assignments. You've studied it over and over and over. And you're just not getting the grades that you'd hoped for. Or maybe even more importantly, it's when you raise your child in a Christian home where they hear the gospel at an early age and yet. She rebels and doesn't embrace that life, that abundant life that God has. It's discouraging. And discouragement is just part of life. We are studying the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. This young man, Jeremiah, was very discouraged. Discouragement. And some of you came in today discouraged. And it can just kind of eat a hole in our hearts. It can make us... Think things that we don't normally think it makes us want to quit It makes us want to just throw up our hands and give in or shake our fists at god So again, we're we're going to be continuing our study here where we see this young man jeremiah and how He was called To bring a very harsh message to his people like the, the lord tapped him on the shoulder. Hey, jeremiah I got a task for you. Well, that's exciting when god calls you to something And you're going to tell your people that the enemy is invading. You're going to tell your people that they are just steeped in sin and rebellion. And Jeremiah obeyed. Jeremiah did the right thing. But it didn't really end the way he wanted or hoped. See, the people didn't respond. In fact, we're going to look today in Jeremiah chapter 20, this kind of uh, uh, amazing scene of conflict and confrontation where he is beaten He is humiliated publicly. He's put in stocks in in a public square. And yet, here's the good news for us, and yet, those of you who come in with a weary heart and discouragement, Jeremiah rose above discouragement, and we can too. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let me introduce myself. I'm John. I'm thrilled to be here, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I pray, as always, that through our time together, your heart grows stronger, your faith grows deeper. So turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20. I hope you've been following over these last several weeks where we've discovered a little bit about this young prophet, Jeremiah, called by God, called to deliver this news to his people that the enemy is invading and it can be really hard to put ourselves in, in other people's shoes. Because this is a different time and a different place. And, and the, the words and the, story, the true stories and the passages of Scripture, sometimes they don't always come alive in our own lives and in our own hearts. So if you want to know how his message made the people feel, let's go back exactly 20 years ago. Right here in our nation, 20 years ago yesterday, September 11th, 2001. Let's go back 20 years and, and remember what we endured and what we experienced because wasn't it an enemy who invaded on our soil? It was this, and I don't need to, I don't need to tell you this, But in some ways, it's helpful to reflect and to remember this plot to hijack four airplanes and then use those airplanes as suicidal weapons targeting key and strategic points in the U.S. along our East Coast. And of course, it changed our nation's history. It changed so much about our, our world. So for, for those of us who are probably, oh, I don't know, 25 or late, mid to late 20s on up, we remember where we were. We remember that day. Even now, it sort of causes the, the hair on the back of our neck to just stand on end. Remembering the panic, remembering the shock. Our world changed. The enemy invaded. They dared to come on our soil and attack us. So it's worth remembering that, that significant event in our nation's history. But then let's just imagine, kind of drawing this parallel between Jeremiah and his people in Israel and and our own nation and history and experience. Just imagine that you were going around prior to that... And you were predicting those attacks. Just imagine that the Lord had had tapped you on the shoulder like he did Jeremiah and said, they're going to hijack four planes. And they're going to crash them. Thousands of people will die. I don't think you would have been received very well by your fellow Americans. Because part of what Jeremiah said is there's nothing you can do about it. There's no stopping it. It's going to happen. And the reason it's going to happen is because of your sin. And because of your rebellion. So this is exactly what this young man is facing. Because he says the Babylonians are coming. They're going to invade our territory. And you know our sacred place? Jerusalem, the holy city. Where our temple is. With all of those holy and sacred artifacts. The place where we go to worship. The place that is designated for the manifest presence of Yahweh. Our one true God. He says, they're going to tear down the temple. They're going to murder. They're going to pillage. They're going to they're steal all of our gold and resources, and then they're going to carry us off. Those they don't kill, you, your kids, your grandkids, they're going to carry them off to Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 20, starting in verse 1. When the priest, Pasher son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Okay, hold on. Just look at the verse prior. And when you have time later this afternoon, read all of chapter 19. We should just back up to make sure that we understand exactly what it is that Jeremiah is saying that Pasher heard. So the last verse in Jeremiah 19, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says Jeremiah prophesies. Listen, I am going to bring on this city and all the villages around it every disaster I pronounced against them because they were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. By the way, in context, when we read Jeremiah chapter 19, we understand that Jeremiah walked right into the temple courtyard So so he is actually in that place, which would have been the holy place, but also where the people were gathered. So this is a large community gathering. This is where Jeremiah delivers this message. And so this is a man who's in charge of the temple named Pasher. We don't typically do very many Sunday school lessons about him today. In fact, I would just take a guess that for the majority of you, you're like, I've never heard of this guy. I don't remember Pasher. Well, let's enjoy this uh, fascinating bible story together then pasher guy in charge of the temple He hears jeremiah saying these things So when this man the priest pasher son of emmer official in charge of the temple of The lord heard jeremiah prophesying these things jeremiah chapter 20 now verse 2 He had jeremiah the prophet beaten And put in the stocks At the upper gate of benjamin at the lord's temple He's so angry He's like, you think you can walk into my temple and say that the enemy is going to come in and invade because of my sin? So he has, he, he's so angry. He has Jeremiah beaten. They had this practice. We, we, we don't know exactly what the beating entailed. This is all we get. He was beaten. It could have been, most likely was a flogging. They had this practice of 39 lashes because the 40th lash was known to be fatal. So again, we don't know the extent of Jeremiah's beating, but they beat him. We know that. And then they put him in stocks, right? This is the the sort of uh, classic wooden contraption. You often see this in uh, medieval times, or if you watch movies with knights in them. So it it contained the head and the arms, but oftentimes, I found in my research, it, it included the feet as well. You can see that on the image on the screen. So it would have been... Painful, your body contorted in a really uncomfortable, painful sort of way. Again, and now you're, you've been beaten, so your body is sore and hurting, potentially open wounds on your back. You can't treat those, you can't help those. But maybe even more than that, the, the physical pain would be the humiliation. Again, the, the location that Pasher chose, this upper gate, was where, this, this would have been the main entrance. We're talking all kinds of foot traffic, all kinds of people coming by to see Jeremiah humiliated. So it was painful physically, but it was humiliating. So this guy, Pasher, as a priest, he would have been one of of the main focal points of Jeremiah's criticism. So uh, today we're looking at really both Jeremiah chapter 20 and Lamentations chapter 4. So I would encourage you to have your finger in both places in your Bible, but turn to Lamentations chapter 4, please. Lamentations, by the way, we, we've been really ambitious for this series, trying to really tackle both of these books. Uh, Jeremiah is more of the narrative and tells the story. Lamentations is this five-part lament, uh, which is sort of a sorrowful poem. It's, it's Hebrew dirge poetry. It's an acrostic, which means basically it's going successive Hebrew uh, letters of the alphabet. There are 22 of them. It's beautiful, and yet it's also sort of haunting. And so Jeremiah penned the book of Lamentations to grieve and to pour out his heart to the Lord over the brokenness of his people and over his own issues with the Lord. So if we're in Lamentations chapter 4, let's start in verse 11. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but starting in verse 11, we're going to see specifically how how he's targeting... And understanding rightly the role that the priests and the religious leaders have played in God's judgment coming. Jeremiah laments, the Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the world, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. And again, it's just such a stark parallel to where we were 20 years ago. No one is going to dare to step on U.S. soil and attack us in our own nation. He he says there, no, no one believed on the face of the earth. No one believed that they would come into our city, that they would come through our gates. Verse 13, but it happened. Because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of righteousness. Jeremiah himself comes from a priestly family, by the way, which would have made this really even more humiliating. So imagine this scene. Here's Jeremiah beaten and put in stocks in a very public place, really Really? He's positioned in the prime spot where the majority of people, the most people, will see him. And looming in the backdrop is the temple. So Jeremiah's treatment is sort of portrayed as God's judgment on him. It's carried out by the priest. Pasher's the guy in charge of the temple. He's the servant of God. So Jeremiah is in this place where he's done the right thing, where he's followed where God led, and this is where he ends up. And everybody walking by is saying, oh boy, God's really judging that guy. Oh boy, look what the priest has done to him, that sinner, that wretch. And so maybe you can understand, go back to Jeremiah chapter 20, starting in verse 7, maybe you can understand when Jeremiah says, you deceived me, Lord, I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. The word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Here's what he's saying. I did the right thing, God. And this is my reward. I remember praying the exact same thing when I was 26 years old. I had moved my family a thousand miles. I was pouring myself into the church and the ministry. Rachel was pregnant. She was not working outside the home. The pay was very little. And just to pay our bills, I had to pick up a a second job. And then our air conditioning broke. Uh, This was in July, (laughs) in tropical heat. So it was not just uncomfortable, it was unsafe. And I remember crying out to God, I have followed where you led me. I, I am obeying what you've called me to do. Is this how you treat your servants? So this guy, Pasher, after he beat Jeremiah, and he put him in stocks, and we see here from the text that he left him there overnight. And the next day, he releases him. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 3. The next day, when Pasher released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord's name for you is not Pasher, but terror on every side. Now, depending on what translation you have, you might actually have the Hebrew in there. I, I studied this, of course, in several different English translations. Any of you actually have the Hebrew in the translation that you have with you? Some of you do. Yeah, I see Phil says, yeah, I got it. It's cool. Uh, Magor Misabib. It translates, terror on every side. So I'm reading the, the NIV, and it has it in there where it says terror on every side. Verse 4. For this is what the Lord says. He's talking straight to Passer. I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I mean, this is Jeremiah freshly beaten and put in stocks overnight. Like, surely this is going to shut him up. And he goes right back into prophesying, maybe even in a more confrontational way, pointing the finger right in Pasher's face. He says, I will give all Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the sword. I will deliver all the wealth of this city into the hands of their enemies. They had accumulated stockpiles of gold and wealth. All of that, he says, it's going to be gone. He says, all its products, all its valuables, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, like all of what has been worked for for centuries carried off and taken away. He says, they will take it away as plunder. They will carry it off to Babylon and you, Pasher, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. There you will die and be buried. You and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. (laughs) So much for shutting Jeremiah up. (laughs) I I, I just, I love this guy's moxie. I, I love this story. It just, it just fires me up. You can't stop me. You can't shut me up. Do what you want. I'm going to continue doing what God has called me to do. He could have been discouraged, but he rose up in the face of discouragement. You know, sometimes it is those difficult times. You've done the right thing, and things haven't gone well. It was that long and lonely night for Jeremiah in the stocks, being ridiculed, being laughed at. Everyone in his community thinking this guy has sinned and brought the judgment of God. And you know, your character is forged more through suffering than through success. Your character is forged through your suffering not just your success. You you learn lessons in the valley of defeat that you're never going to learn on the mountaintop of victory. And so then Jeremiah rightly proclaims, no, 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 it's not me that's judged, it's not me that's humiliated even though you tried, but pastor, it's you. You're the one that's going to be humiliated. You're the one that's going to be judged. When he says that he's going to be carried into exile into Babylon, that he's going to die there and that he's going (gasps) to be buried there that for them, for their culture? That's like an eternal curse. See, the, those Gentile lands, those pagan lands, were unclean. It, when you study like the, the, the Old Testament especially, it's always talking about when someone passes away, it's like, well, you've got to get their bones and carry them back to be buried in this certain location. They're going to be buried with their fathers. They're going to be buried in the holy lands. So when he says to pasture, no, 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 you're going to be buried over there in the unclean pagan lands. It's like saying you're eternally cursed. There's no chance for you as part of God's family and God's kingdom. But listen, his suffering, it it, it led him into a place of rising above discouragement. Our own suffering, it can lead us to either accept God's patient prodding in our lives or turn from God in bitterness. Our our suffering, it's been said, it can make us better or it can make us bitter. Jeremiah was able to rise above discouragement and the encouraging word for me and for you today is that we can too. So here's what I'd like to do with the rest of our time together. And that is to look uh, again at this story from Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah, the treatment that he received from Pasher, the way he responded, we're going to see four ways to rise above discouragement, four ways to rise above discouragement. The first is to be honest, be honest. And what I mean by that is tell God how you feel. Jeremiah was really frank and really clear with God. He felt deceived by God, right? We saw that there in verse 7. He was ridiculed and mocked even though he'd done the right thing. He was beaten and put in stock. Like, obviously, God doesn't mislead people or, like, trick people. But that's how Jeremiah felt. He felt like, you just lured me into this ministry so that I could become a laughingstock. You, you called me to be a voice for you, but no one's listening to it. You you called me to to issue this warning to people to return to you, but none of them are doing it. But God wants us to talk to him. He he wants us to be honest with him. Like, even when we're angry, even when we're upset, he wants us to tell the truth. We've got to be honest with God. And I'll let you in on a little secret. God knows it all anyway. God knows it all anyway. So, So what we have here, not only from... Jeremiah, we have this from David, we have this from Job, others in scripture, they're honest with God, brutally honest with God. And I know the first question that I get when, when I share this, and people say, well, isn't it wrong to be angry with God? So let me just ask that for us corporately this morning. Is it wrong to be angry at God? Anger is an emotion. And oftentimes, emotions are really neither right nor wrong. They just are. Now, we're warned from Scripture to in our anger not sin. So yes, we must be cautious there when that particular emotion is on the rise. But if you are angry with God, the best thing to do with it is to tell God. That's right, to tell God That you're angry with him. You're not going to let him down. You're not going to disappoint him. God is big enough. God is strong enough to handle your hurt, to handle your anger. So express it to him. God, we also know this from scripture. God longs for us to come to him. He he longs for us to, to seek him and to pour our hearts out to him. He wants you to express your heart to him. Didn't Jesus do this? In the Garden of Gethsemane and even from the cross, isn't this what our Lord modeled for us? Pouring out his heart to the Father. So we should do the same. And I mean hold nothing back. Be honest. Even with your bad feelings. Even with your anger. Because when you do that, you enter even more deeply into the loving embrace of the Lord. First way to rise above discouragement is to be honest. The second is to be obedient. Just keep doing, as we saw in dramatic fashion from Jeremiah, what God has called you to do. If you don't, by the way, you're only going to add to your predicament and your situation the element of regret. You're only going to make a bad situation worse because you're going to say, ah, and then I didn't even obey. And then I didn't come through with what God had called me to do. So Jeremiah, perhaps because of his youth, or or the vision that he had of how this was all going to play out, things didn't go the way he thought they were going to. When he received the call from God to be a prophet and to share the word of the Lord with the people, things didn't unfold the way he expected. And so that's why he says he feels deceived. But he knows, and he knew all along that God is stronger that God is bigger, God is wiser, God is more righteous than he, and God's words will prevail, even over the mockery of his peers and foes. So when Pasher takes out this action against him, the beating and the public humiliation, I'm guessing that our boy Jeremiah was tempted to quit. There's a clue in verse 9 that he was. Let's turn there. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, this is the temptation. Maybe I just give up. Maybe I just stop making these prophetic proclamations. If I do that, Jeremiah says, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. God's word in him is a fire that he cannot contain. He can't put it out. He can't be quiet about it. What has God called you to do? It's not just pastors. It's not just missionaries that are called. Each and every one of us is called. Each and every one of us, God has a ministry for. What is it that God has laid on your heart? What what are those those things that, that keep you up at night? That you lose sleep over, that, that trouble your soul deeply? What, what are those actions that God has spurred you on then to use your gifts and to, to follow where he leads to make a difference? To serve, to highlight Jesus. And the encouragement is very simple: do it. <laughs> How do you rise above discouragement? You press on in obedience. You, you do it. In fact, next Sunday, that's the whole sermon. <laughs> so I'm going I'm to leave that for now. That's the whole sermon next Sunday. It's our final uh, sermon in this series of Jeremiah and Lamentations. All right, another way to rise above discouragement. Be watchful. And what I mean there is, is watch for what the Lord is doing. It, sense and understand and thank the Lord that you're not alone. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 20. We see what he says in verse 11. He says, but the Lord is what? With me. The Lord is, say it with me, with me. He proclaims, he recognizes, he is watchful to see he's not alone. He wasn't alone in the stocks. He wasn't alone when he was taking that flogging or beating or whatever it was. He says, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. He's not on the losing side. He might be battling discouragement. I think he was. But God is going to prevail. And God speaks this word then to his heart. No, no. I'm going to deal with Pasher. I'm going to deal with anyone else who has come against you. But I think oftentimes when we're in that place of discouragement, we tend to focus inward on the struggle. We we tend to then look at our situation. We tend to look at our frustration. We tend to look at our predicament. We look at our problem, and we're even more discouraged. So here's what Jeremiah did. He set his eyes on the Lord. That's what we need to do as well. If we're going to rise above discouragement, we need to look upward to a God who has not abandoned us, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, but who is with us. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, Psalm 46 says. See, I didn't have a plan to fix our air conditioning when it broke all those years ago. I didn't have the money. I didn't have any money. In fact, I, I, I called around and called and called and called and called. I could only find one guy who was willing to come and do an inspection for free. Everyone else wanted a, a fee to come out to do the inspection. I found one guy who offered a free inspection. Bring it on, man. Come and check it out. And, and after that free inspection then, he gave me a quote, and it was for several thousand dollars, which only added to the discouragement. And it was to sort of repair the old unit with no guarantees. <laughs> it's a, well, here, here's what we did. We gave it to the Lord. We just gave it to the Lord. We shared our plight with only one individual, to, to the best of my recollection. We shared our plight with only one individual. This was a mentor who checked in and said, how are you guys really? And so I didn't just give him the surface. Yeah, we're doing great. Yeah, we're doing fine. I said, yeah, we're struggling. We're discouraged. I told him our situation. You know, we're just, we're just trusting the Lord and don't know what's going to happen. Unbeknownst to us, this individual shared it with his son. His son happened to have a close friend who works in the HVAC industry. And this guy, a total stranger, three times removed from us, sends a crew of his men who installed a top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art floor model air conditioning unit in our home. And that night, we were cool for the first time in weeks. We were cool. Now, here's what we saw. We saw God at work. We saw the Lord come through in our lives, in our desperation when I'm concerned for the health and well-being of my wife and unborn child, and God showed up. And we praised God and thanked God and wept over his goodness. And, and we proclaimed and realized, God is with us. And friends, I want you to proclaim that exact same thing. God is with you when you walk into that difficult meeting. God is with you. When you walk into your school into that classroom, into that locker room, down those hallways, God is with you. When you step onto the work site, when you go into that medical appointment, God is with you. He's going to see you through, even in those times where you're discouraged. We've done the right thing, God, and this is how it's turned out. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian, says this, living in the glow of God's presence will enable you to fight on despite discouragement. <laughs> to fight on despite discouragement. Why? Because you're living in the glow of God's presence. So when I talk about rising above discouragement today, listen, it's one reason and one reason only because of our great God. <laughs> this is not a motivational speech where it's like, you can do it, you're strong enough and good enough. No, not at all. This is a biblical truth, that in God's great mercy, he sees our need and he sees our predicament. Like, the God who saw that we're just steeped in sin and need rescued, and sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the perfect, blameless, innocent Lamb of God, who was our substitute when he went to the cross. So it's only because of Jesus and what he endured on the cross that we have hope in the face of our own suffering. Because the good news of the gospel is that anyone who places their faith in him, then at the end of the age, that is when Christ returns once and for all, that the righteous, the Bible tells us, will rise to eternal life. The righteous will rise to eternal life. Those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is paradise. That, that is what the, what the book of Revelation describes as this feast, this banquet in God's forever present. But the unrighteous, those who have never called on the name of the Lord, those who don't seek him and cry out to him, they will suffer an eternity separated from God in torment in hell apart from the beauty of the Lord. So look to him today. Cry out to him, our great God, the only one who's able to save. When I talk about rising above discouragement, it all hinges on, have you cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't done that, then there's no hope. You might be encouraged by circumstances that improve, Or things that seem to get better. But what I'm talking about is your entire life, your entire being surrendered to the purposes of God and wholly leaning on the name of Jesus. Maybe you want to do that today. Let's meet up after the service. Come and meet with me. I would love, I would just be honored to to pray with you, to go with you before God's throne of grace. So let me share one more way that we rise above discouragement that we see from the example of Jeremiah, and that is to be worshipful. Praise is the one weapon in the Christian's arsenal against which Satan has no defense. Praise. When we praise God, what we're doing is acknowledging he's in charge. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whom he wants, in his time frame. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 20. He says in verse 13, Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Jeremiah's despair turns to joy. His defeated attitude turns to triumph. And the key that sort of unlocked this is praise. He chooses to be worshipful. He acknowledges God And we should do the same thing. When we praise God, we, we are praising God, not just for the good that comes our way. I think that can be a temptation. When the good thing happens and we go, well, praise God, I'm really blessed. No, but praising is accepting all that God has, the good and the bad. See, when we do that, when we praise God... We're taking our minds off of our situation and our circumstances. We're putting them on God. We're putting our eyes and our focus where it needs to be. And in so doing, we are asking him to rule and to reign in our lives. Praise acknowledges that God knows more about what he's doing than we do. So I want you to hear this this morning. God knows what is best for you. God knows what is best for you. Do you trust him? Then praise him. Thank him. Give it all to him. God just has this amazing ability to take our suffering and our ugliness and turn it into something beautiful. So a few chapters later in Jeremiah, the verse that everyone knows in the book of Jeremiah, by the way. (laughs) Chapter 29. Here's what God says to his people. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This whole situation with the Babylonians that you're all worked up about and you're all concerned about and you're all fearing. I know what I'm doing. He says, I know the plans I have for you and they are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Wow. That's God knowing better than us. That's God who who weaves this tapestry in our lives. But see, we don't always see the finished product like God does. So when God allows suffering in our lives, we can choose, are we gonna get better? Are we gonna be bitter? Are we gonna stay in that place of discouragement? Because you know what? Our enemy wants us to be discouraged. That's what our enemy wants, is for us to be ineffective. He wants us to stay focused on the issues on the struggles. He wants us to be silent about the word of God. Like Jeremiah was tempted in verse 9. He wants us to just shut it up inside. He wants us, when we're angry with God, to just bottle it up. Try to hide it from God. But we've heard today, and we've been encouraged today, to express those things to the Lord. But do we complain more than we praise listen if God has given you a mission don't be discouraged don't grow weary I pray that his word his mission his work in you would be like a fire shut up in your bones you can't help but live it and speak it and pursue it and proclaim it for all to hear so that you will carry out the mission that God has for you, so that you will rise above discouragement, not because of your abilities, your ingenuity, because of our great God and because of what he has accomplished. He is with you and he will prevail. So let's pray and thank the Lord this morning. Lord God, we are so grateful today for the truth of your word, Thank you for the example of Jeremiah. Thank you for this powerful story where we we see this young prophet beaten and humiliated and put on public display. And Lord, that's a picture of some of us right now. That's a picture of the one who's like, I did the right thing, God. And this is how I end up. But Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit within us, welling up, overflowing with joy that you would continue to do your work because Lord we proclaim today that you have plans for us that you know those plans for us and they're plans that are for our good to give us hope for our future and so Lord today we say we trust you you know what is best for us oh God we trust you so Lord carry it out for your glory Help us, God. Lift us. Rise us above discouragement. That we would carry out the mission that you've put on our hearts. For your glory alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.